Hola, cariño. Hola, amor. Y bienvenidos a Week Your Road, a Latinx horror movie podcast with Johnny and Eileen. I'm Johnny. And I'm Eileen. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's been a long time since it's been good afternoon on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But here we are. We've made it. Here we are. We've made it. Um... I have a really teeny tiny funny story to tell that I was like, I need to tell Johnny this on the pod. I'm so excited. Ayer llamo a mi tía Liana, my tía uh -huh. who raised me. She is a piece of work. The best, the best piece of work. She's a sassy bitch. And I FaceTimed her and uh, <laughs> she's in her car. And she, I guess, was going to McDonald's, which, uh -huh. mira, que milagro. La doña Iliana no, no es de McDonald's. Uh -huh. The thing she orders at McDonald's is a McFish, but she prefers... How did I know? How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> she prefers the Burger King one, though. Que raro, yo no sé por qué. Bueno, you know. Entonces, she's like, esperame, es que eh, estamos yendo ahorita al McDonald's porque tengo ganas de un, de un Sunday de caramelo. So she wasn't going for a McFish, she was going for a Sunday de caramelo. Qué delicia. Pero, y también, just a reminder for everyone, my tía lives in Nicaragua, okay? Mm -hmm. She is in mm -hmm. Managua, Nicaragua. Entonces, a ver, espérate un poquito, espérate que estamos llegando a la ventana porque el otro día estaba la gran fila, una gran fila, pero esta fila en McDonald's, <laughs> todo el mundo en la fila. And I was like, okay, tía. <sighs> And so she gets to the little window of the McDonald's. <laughs> She doesn't wait for anybody to say, hi, welcome to McDonald's or whatever. Inmediatamente, aló, ajá, aló, hello, ajá. I was like, oh boy. I'm not surprised. No. And then finally, somebody's like, sí, eh, bienvenido a McDonald's, que, que le doy, whatever. Y mi tía dice, quiero un sonde de caramelo, por favor. Mm -hmm. And I can barely hear... But the man on the other side says, ah, eh, la máquina de hacer helado está quebrada, está uh, jodida. Oh. Classic McDonald's move, by the way. <laughs> Everybody knows that the ice cream machine is always broken. It happens in Nicaragua también, mm -hmm. para que sepan. So <laughs> the guy's like, esta no sirve la máquina. <laughs> My tía goes, vayanse a la porra, pues. <laughs> And I, when I tell you, I oh, started no. cackling, Bia. cackling. Oh, man. I laughed so fucking hard. I can hear her saying yeah. that. Vayanse la porra, pues. <laughs> like quietly as the cars. I, I can hear you. I can hear lady. you, ma'am. Oh, it, she wasn't saying it quietly to be demure. She was being quiet to be menacing. Okay? Absolutely. You better fucking hear this. Oh my God, this woman. I, I love her. I love her so much. Yeah. She's, a, she's a piece of work. She's a pistol. She's a treasure. That's what she is. Well, thank you for telling me that story. I love it very much. You're very welcome. I, and I figured this would be a good segue because our movie this week mm -hmm. is not technically from Nicaragua, but it has a Nicaraguan connection. Absolutely. Um, 
the movie that I picked this week was is the 2014. I'm calling it because I read it in an article somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, meta sequel totally. to uh, the town that dreaded sundown. Yes. When you sent this to me, I was very excited. I do have to admit something to you. I've never seen the original. Well, because I am a professional film critic and enthusiast now. (laughs) Yes, you watched it. I watched the original before. Well, I watched the the beginning of this one. And there were so many references to the original in the first 15 minutes that I was like, no, I I think I got to watch the original. You know, that's interesting you mentioned that because I looked it up and I was like, I should fucking watch the original. So I started this morning and then I was like, I don't have time because I'm a fucking (laughs) unprofessional asshole. But it's on uh, it's on Paramount Plus, which I which I pay for. So I, you know, that's very nice. Yeah, I started watching it, so I will continue to watch it. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the meta sequel. The meta sequel, which is written by Alfonso Gomez Rejón, which is our Latino number one, and Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who is the writer. Well, he wrote the screenplay for this one, and we also give credit to Earl E. Smith, who wrote the original. Mm -hmm. Um, And Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, our Latino number two, is our Nicaragua uh, connection. So Alfonso Gomez Rejón is Mm Mexican-American, and Roberto Aguirre Esa casa nicaragüense. I had no idea that there was any sort of connection to Latin America whatsoever. So I was so thrilled to cover this movie. And this is the shit that I love to discover on this podcast. It's like, you know, clearly we're um, highlighting films that are from Latin America, which is what we want to do. That's how we we, we yeah. want to we want to reconnect with our roots. Pero there are movies out there like you're like. You know, Black Christmas, now the town that dreaded sundown 2014, that I, you know, but you don't know have Latin American roots. And this one, talk about like actually connecting to your roots because you are Nicaraguan. So it's just like, I love this shit. I love discovering this stuff. Yeah. It's also, I think, really important to highlight Latinos and Latinas and Latines that are in film in the U.S. because... We're just as influenced here um, as we are back in our homelands or mm-hmm. mother or fatherlands. So it's exciting to see our people succeeding in the Hollywood business here in the U.S. So totally. Yeah. And we'll talk about these two gentlemen later on, I'm sure. Uh, so we'll, they are busy. Uh, Busy. Yeah, these are some busy <laughs> dudes. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, okay, so let's get a synopsis for the town that dreaded sundown. All right, so I found this synopsis from IMDb. Here we go. 65 years after a masked serial killer terrorized the small town of Texarkana, the so-called Moonlight Murders begin again. Is it a copycat or something even more sinister? A lonely high school girl may be the key to catching him. Okay. I got to tell you something right now. Uh Uh-huh. I've 
been to Texarkana several times. You have? Uh, several times. Remember how I used Why to do? Why several times? <laughs> I used to do, so just so everybody knows on the podcast, I used to do children's theater tours with the Kennedy Center based out of D.C. And Excuse me. Fancy pants. And I have <laughs> been to Texarkana a few times because wow. of doing those fucking children's shows. Just performing for the children of Texarkana. <laughs> Lovely. Well, then here we go right into the town of Texarkana. Let's go. Uh, get ready for accents. They are <laughs> they are swiftly approaching. I see them on the horizon. <laughs> we begin with some old footage and a narrator, which is very similar to Texas, Texas Chainsaw. Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, very similar. And also it's kind of how the original movie starts, too. We get a narrator there as well, which is nice. In the spring of 1946 in the town of Texarkana on the Texas-Arkansas border, a series of horrific murders were committed by a masked assailant known only as the Phantom Killer. We see Texarkana life in the 40s, old department stores and old cars driving by, a parade with ladies sitting on floats waving, being like, oh, hello, yes, happy birthday, Texarkana, said one of the floats. And then we see a lovely dead body in a field. Oh, oh. old articles of the murders flash by. And then we hear the narrator again. For three months, the phantom stalked lovers' lanes of Texarkana, following young couples looking for privacy into isolated areas where their screams for help would go unanswered. Boy. We see these photos of these young like girls and boys. I'm not sure if these are actually the victims, but mm, they're mm -hmm. youthful enough to represent what these poor victims look like. Uh, we see more crime scene photos and footage of police investigating different like backwoods trails and things like that. The narrator returns several arrests were made in connections to the slayings, which ended as suddenly as they began. The killer's identity was never confirmed. Many people who lived through the nightmare time believe the phantom spent the rest of his days free, walking the streets of Texarkana quietly, anonymously, until his assumed death, which is terrifying. terrifying. And happens. Actually happens. Yeah, it actually happens. Now we see in the footage that it changes to a more 70s look. And we see a film crew. And then the narrator says, in 1976, a film inspired by the infamous Moonlight Murders was released. Footage from the original The Town That Dreaded Sundown starts to play. And we see, like, different shots of the killer and the foot that comes in, which is very cool. Every year on Halloween, the movie is screened somewhere in Texarkana. And we see a drive-in and cars pulling up to it. And we see big movie screens with more shots of the movie playing. And then an suddenly another photo of one of the dead, like of a dead person. Mm. Okay. So the movies play in tribute to the Phantom's legacy of blood. Ugh. Today, Texarkana is a place haunted by its past. We see the photo image smooth out. And it becomes clearer and the landscape kind of transforms into the town that is now modern day Texarkana. Mm -hmm. It's defined by a mystery that was never solved and a tragedy that could never be forgotten. The following happens in Texarkana last year. 
And we cut to a close-up of a man with a cloth bag, like a pillowcase, basically, over his face and two eyes cut out. It's very Friday the 13th Part 2 or The Strangers. Well, funnily enough, Jason's original bag mask was basically taken from the original uh, The Town Who Dreaded Sundown. Amazing. Amazing. That's very cool. We see a woman inside a car screaming her fucking face off while her boyfriend is desperately trying to start the car. And the camera pans up and we see that this is the original movie being played at the Twin Star Drive-In Theater. We see a bunch of cars are parked and people are sitting on the hoods of their car with like blankets all snuggly or they're sitting like right next to their car in some lawn chairs and everybody's having a good old time watching this film. We focus in on a couple that's sitting on a on the car, and this is Jamie and Corey. Corey asks Jamie, oh, you're not enjoying this, huh? You don't seem to be into this. And she's like, I don't really like these kinds of movies. And how dare Corey you? being, I, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Although I was once Jamie. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Corey being a polite young man is like, that's cool. We can go. We don't have to fucking watch this thing. Mm-hmm. So they head back into their car and we keep getting these lovely sweeping shots through the drive in with random stops on like certain people, like focusing on random, not for very long. We're still sweeping through, but we're like, oh, we're making a point of seeing this face and then seeing another face of an older man in a car and Mm -hmm. a young teen going by with long hair and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. We also hear someone yelling, God bless you, and Texarkana Fellowship Church invites you to stop the devil with gospel. And we see that this person is now handing out flyers. And then it's not just one person, though. There's also the local reverend who is... I know him as Richie Rich's dad and totally. But if you are a youthful person and don't know Richie Rich, or maybe somebody who is into Gilmore Girls, he was, I think, the grandpa in oh, Gilmore girl, Girls. Oh, girl, I never saw Gilmore Girls. I also have never Moral seen. Moral of the story, watch Richie Rich, because yes. it's, I mean, a staple of He's our He's got youth. a McDonald's in his home. I mean, the dream. <laughs> the dream literal roller coaster in the backyard guys (laughs) amazing also shout out to uh this reverend's hair because it is fabulous he's always had great great hair floppy awesome hair i must say though i was immediately so irritated by these church people especially this reverend oh I was so irritated. Well, because he's like, oh, you, this movie is a godless movie and you shouldn't be watching this. And and we're, you know, (laughs) fucking just stomping out the devil. We see a zoom in of the the pamphlet or the Mm -hmm. flyer that they're giving out. And it's his face. And it says, stomp out the devil with the gospel. And it's like, (laughs) bro, I'm just watching a movie, dude. Can you back up? He does have a point because as our cute couple is leaving, he's like, or or he says to some people, he's like, these people actually died. Like this happened to people. And I was like, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. That's true. That's not wrong. But also, what does that have to do with God? Get the fuck out of here. here. Let me do what I want. Yeah. So as Jamie and Corey drive away in the car, they head into a restricted area. It's secluded. It's dark. It's very lovers Mm laney, And they park. 
and they're talking about their college applications and Corey's like, oh, I only play football to get a scholarship. And Jamie's like, oh, well, I applied to NYU and Cal State. And she's very quiet and little and demure. And yeah. uh, and she's like, you know, just in case I don't get into these places, I can still write for the Gazette because my dad used to write for the Gazette. And my grandma says that it's in my blood. And Corey's like, well, I'm real glad that you finally said yes. And then they kiss because, you know, teens in a car. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corey reaches for the inside of her thigh Woo. to do some gentle fingering, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Gentle fingering. Wow. And <laughs> <laughs> fear up in here. <laughs> oh, my God. Fear. OK. Oh my God. That scene. Jesus fucking Christ. Talk about staples of our youth. Sorry. C- yes. Continue. Continue. But outside of the car. In a tiny pocket of terror behind him, standing in this wooded bush, a person with a pillowcase over their head is watching them. When I tell you that that fucking thing, I was like, oh, no, oh, it's <laughs> it's straight up terrifying. And this was very well set up. Yes. All you see is his bust like it's it's shoulders mm-hmm. up. He's yeah. surrounded by darkness and yeah. just the bag with the eyes. Oof, guacatela, no me gusta. I also got to say here. I don't think I, I've never done this. Have I? Lover's Lane kind of thing. I don't have a memory of it. I don't think I could ever do this. Like, <laughs> I get it that it's like, you know, it's kind of like the excitement is like, will we be caught? But the minute I'm out there in the middle of the woods in the dark trying to make out with whoever, I'd be like, this is serial killer territory. Yeah. This no. isn't going to happen. I can't relax. No. I can't relax. It's not going to happen. Could you do this? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> You want you want this you want my business to get any kind of moisture? This isn't happening. I'm full of fear. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. No way. No way. Uh, now that everybody knows this this is not the way with That's us. That's how the female body works, yeah. baby. Listen. <laughs> so, Jamie, who is facing this pocket of terror, opens her eyes and pulls away from Corey because there's a fucking bag looking at them, horrifying. And Corey turns around and he's like, oh shit, what the fuck? And Jamie, like a good fucking girl, locks them doors immediately, which I was like, lock those doors, motherfucker. And Corey's like, oh, he's just a peeping Tom, it's cool. And then suddenly the bag just kind of (gasps) Homer Simpsons into the bush again. You know that... (laughs) Yes. Awful. It gave me chills, but Homer Simpson Homer Simpson into the bush is the perfect description, except it's just <laughs> terrifying darkness. Like he yes. he's like erased by the darkness. Absolutely. This kid, Corey, is that his name? Corey. He's like, it's fine. He's gone. No, no. No. Turn that car on. Vámonos. Vámonos, brother. No. <laughs> Which, you know, that's what Jamie says. She's like, that's it's weird. And he's Corey's like, it's an asshole from the drive in. And she's like, yeah, but let's just go anyways, because Creepville Mm -hmm. and Corey starts the car and fucking smash, dude. Okay, so (laughs) when I first started watching the movie, which was before I started the original, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I was doing, but I was, you know, invested and I kind of turned just a little bit 
And the minute the window crashed, it caught me by surprise so hard. The scream that oh. escaped my body. I'm like, my neighbors are going to come down and check to They're see if I'm okay. Call the police. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. This is what I'll say about this first jump scare here. Yeah. This movie is not very long. It's under an hour and a half. It is efficiently edited. It moves very well. Almost almost at some points I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's very fast where you like like jump from scene to scene. This first smash of the window was so well done because I was like, oh, we'll Ooh. get to it. But no, bitch. No. Here it is. We're in. The way I watched this was on Tubi. I assume you did the same. Literally. I rented it, but it's fine. <laughs> so I watched it on Tubi. It, you watch it on Tubi. Everybody's for free. And yeah. window smash, immediate cut to commercial. And I was like, no! oh, my God. Tubi. How rude. I cannot Incredibly believe rude. that this is where they decided to throw in a commercial. But I I also jumped a foot into the air. So oh my good. God. The window on the passenger side breaks and there he is, the fucking phantom. And he has a gun and he tells them to get out of the fucking car or I'm going to shoot her in the fucking face. <gasps> so they do. And he's talking to them. He's like, do, does your mama and your daddy know that you're here? And Corey's like, yes, they know. And Jamie's like, mine are dead. They're, they don't know Mm -hmm. dead parents and the phantom is like take your pants off and so Corey takes his fucking pants off just to him which i was like okay interesting yeah and get down on the fucking ground which he does he points the gun at jamie and he says turn around and do not look back so she does and she's facing this big like flat side of a rock like it's Mm -hmm. it's just a like a wall of stone it seems or like dirt sure And the red lights of the car are beaming at this wall. So she's facing it and she sees the shadows of what's going on behind her from the Phantom and Corey. The Phantom gets on Corey's back and Uh. we hear Corey saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Shut the fuck up. Uh. And we hear a knife go shing. Oh, my God. And on the wall, we see this motherfucker stab this kid over and over and over again. Like, Uh. You know how we are with stabbing. We don't like stabbing. Stabbing no. is the worst. It's so Ooh. personal. It's just and yes. It, oh, the I can't. I can't. Awful. And then the phantom like doubles over on top of his body, and I'm like, is this guy coming right now? Like, was he? I also was like, what's going on right now? Especially because he's like, take your pants off. Yeah. Well, for me, it's interesting because well, not only that, but. Uh. The original uh, movie and the actual killer, the Moonlight Murderers, uh, the Phantom, he was like it was a sexual thing for him. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like he often raped his victims, not the men, but Mm -hmm. it was still like. There was sexual stuff, deviancy involved. Yes. And so, like, at this point, I'm like, oh, no, he's going to be a creepy, not only a murderer, but a creepy murderer. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we'll get more into that, I think, with trivia. But yeah, something I did discover is that the killer, like the real life killer to, I believe, the first one of the first victims. I'm not sure if the person was murdered or not, but he literally said, take off your britches to this person. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's it's bad. So at this point, when he's like doubled over on top, I mean, he's already on top of the kid, but he's like, 
you know, hunching and coming, it seems. (laughs) And uh, Jamie turns around and he looks up at her and he says, you looked. And she fucking books it. She runs through this wooded area and the phantom goes after her, not running, stalking, just Uh, like fucking that crazy, creepy Mm -hmm. walk through this like woods. And we get cool like camera effects. There's a moment where we flash and we see dead Corey standing there. It was very cool. And she's running and running and she trips over a tree stump and she falls over and the phantom Phantom gets to her and stands over her and he comes down to her level and we get a close up of his eye through the bag hole and he says, this is for Mary. Make them remember. Suddenly it's the same eye, but it's the shot of the original movie. So we're in the movie theater again and we see that the or the drive in, but we see that behind the screen from the woods, Jamie is coming out of it. And we get our title card, the town that dreaded sundown and this very cool like newspaper headline font. It just looks like a a, like a expanded headline font. It covers the whole entire screen. Very cool. I loved how this popped up because like there's still shit going on on screen and it's just like, boom, don't forget. This is what you're watching right now. Loved it. Exactly. Jamie, who is fucked up from running through the forest and all this shit, she walks over to the screen. She falls down right underneath it. And in at this drive-in, all the cars turn on their lights and you hear the voices being like, what? Who's that? What's going on? And on the big screen, we see the trombone scene from the original movie, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will. We hear Texarkana 911 as we pan over a town statue that has a dead body at its foot and a sign hanging over the man who is the statue, this guy Bowie, it seems. The sign written in blood says, remember, and the head of the statue is covered with a pillowcase with its eyes cut out. In the hospital, Jamie tells the cops what happened and the cops are being cops and they're like, were you drinking? Were you doing mm-hmm, drugs? Mm-hmm. And our sweet grandma, played by fucking legend Veronica Cartwright. Hello, oh, my God. Alien. Oh, my God. No, for me. Uh huh. Which is a V-Stwick, bro. I mean, for me, it's alien. Like, I just. I want to let everybody know that Jonathan Atkinson, the supposed lover of all things creepy and spooky, didn't see witches of we- and also gay things. I mean, it's the, one of the gayest <laughs> camp movies ever. Didn't see witches of we- Eastwick until like last year for the yeah. first time. I mean, it was it was we we watched it together through FaceTime. It was a demons true inside delight. me. Kyle, best movie. I mean, Veronica Cartwright for me, just in Alien, her reaction to that chestburster scene. And also, just want to give a little shout out to fucking Joshua Leonard from the Blair Witch Project over here. I was like, okay, you're just throwing all these horror people at me right now. Um, Yeah. Love this. Love this. And not only that, we also have Gary Cole as one of the cops. So uh, Joshua Leonard plays Deputy Forrester. We'll see him in a little bit. And uh, Gary Cole plays Deputy Tillman. who's a, He's the one that's like, were you on drugs? Were you drinking? Mm-hmm. He seems like the shady cop. Yeah, you're kind of a dick. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Grandma Veronica Cartwright is like, listen, don't you talk shit about my granddaughter. The doctors didn't find no drugs in there. Great. Love her. 
So Deputy Forrester, he volunteers to be a cop that stays outside of Jamie and her grandma's house uh, just as a precaution. The, mm-hmm. the sheriff is like, we'll send a cop and Deputy Forrester volunteers. Now we're outside of Jamie and Grandma's house, and there's the cop car with Deputy Forrester. Jamie and her grandma are inside watching a news report that's talking about Corey's murder. Grandma turns it off, and Jamie asks if she remembers anything about the murders when they happened. And she explains that Jamie's great-grandparents lived in this very house when it happened. That they used to say that, that it was like the town was being tested. Mm -hmm. And no one knew why that he was the boogeyman. They said, can't catch the boogeyman, can't kill the boogeyman. His father is the devil and his mother is a whore. Whoa. (laughs) Damn. Damn, grandma. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. And she said that before the summer, everybody left their doors unlocked. And afterwards, if you saw a stranger on the street, you would cross to the other side. And then it all faded. And when the movie came out in 1976, it brought it all back. Mm -hmm. Now we see Jamie at like a shrink, a psychiatrist, a counselor of some sort. And this doctor wants to prescribe some anti-anxiety meds. But Jamie's like, no, I don't want them, ma'am, please. I spent a lot of time on a lot of different kinds of meds when my parents passed away. Hmm. And she says, in my file, it says you're applying to colleges to study creative writing. But Jamie is like, yeah, you know, I don't know. She might be having second thoughts. And the doctor suggests, well, maybe you should write through this, through what your experience is right now. Maybe it might help you work through it. So now we're at the downtown airport. And even though it's 2013, it all looks like we're in 1975. I thought we were back in time. This Me too. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because this entire movie, everyone's clothes are fucking 1970 style. And Mm -hmm. I think that's meant to show that Texarkana is stuck in the past. Sure. It hasn't moved on. And we're reliving this moment that happened in 1946 in this like 70s version of what the original was. And now we're still stuck in this cycle that we couldn't get away from in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So we see a girl sashaying into these airport doors and she runs up to her soldier boyfriend that's coming home from war. I don't know. Afghanistan. Who knows? Somewhere. He's coming back from somewhere. Fucking Daytona Beach. And uh, <laughs> she jumps right into his arms. They kiss. And then we're in a motel room and we're fucking Woo! like fucking <laughs> so much so that she's like i'm sore i need a break i need a break Woo. yes ma'am so now that they're breaking they're taking a rest drink some water ma'am and uh <laughs> she tells her soldier man to go to the vending machines and get her some cookies i need the sugar okay and uh how about a gatorade you know my, like <laughs> get some electrolytes back into that body totally <laughs> and then she says can you knock on the door when you're on your way back? Because Mm -hmm. I want to know that it's you. And I was like, Mm -hmm. another moment of women's safety over Mm -hmm. here, because Mm -hmm. in the beginning we have Jamie locking doors. And here we are, this woman being like, knock so that I know that it's you because we're in a thing, strange place. And I Mm -hmm. was very appreciative of these like safety woman moments. Mm, I like that. 
So the soldier goes and as he's out the door, she grabs a couple plastic champagne coupes and a bottle of champagne and a tiny box with a ring. It looks like she's going to propose to her soldier boyfriend. Very sweet. She's going to propose. Love that. But she hears a small thud outside and she walks up to the window to see, but it's really dark outside and all you can really see is her own reflection from inside, making it even harder to see what's going on out there. And she walks up close to the window and fucking slam. It's her boyfriend's head and just his head, his head alone slammed in the window by someone and it's the phantom again and then he slams it once, twice, three times a lady into that fucking window, smashing it open. The girl fucking runs. She goes into the bathroom. Hey, he knocked. He knocked. He knocked. He (laughs) absolutely knocked. Uh, She runs into the bathroom as the phantom climbs through the broken window, chasing her. He bangs on the door and she's at the window. She breaks it open. She climbs out just as he's breaking down the door. She (laughs) She jumps and lands on her feet and fucking splinters that ankle bone right out of her body. So gross. I screamed full out loud. My butthole like totally pursed. Oh God. (laughs) So she screams for help. She's screaming, please help me, help me. She hobbles over towards her lone car in the middle of this motel parking lot. But the Phantom is already downstairs. He's in the parking lot. Again, never running, just stalking. Oh my God, so scary. Mm. And She tries to get the key into the ignition, but, you know, full terror. You can't fucking do it. You're like, oh, my God. And the phantom is just getting closer and closer. Finally, she gets the key in the hole. But her broken ass foot. She, Oh, my God. She has to press on that. She can't push it. She can't push it because her foot is fully a disaster. And. And and then suddenly he's there. The door is open. He stabs her and just like a splash on the window. Oh, And he stabs her again and stabs her. And then he slits her fucking throat. And then from the outside of the car, we just see him going ham, stabbing her, stabbing her. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Splashes of blood in every single window of the car. Now, clearly here, there is some CGI blood happening. But Uh I will say this. This is so brutal that it didn't even Mm -hmm. matter. I was just like, oh, man, this is awful. Fucked. This fucked. was this was fucked. And I'm gonna say this whole sequence bashed through the window to her being murdered in the car. 30 seconds? So fast. Flies. Flies. But it fucking lands like a fucking hammer to the head. Holy shit. The moment that head is bashed through Ooh, the window. You're like bang, boom. With her in the bathroom, like holy, it is well done, fast, edited to the point, brutal, terrifying. Oh my god. I love it. Oh, you, keep you it literally moving. exactly keep it moving. By the end, you're just like, damn, what? Holy shit. At Jamie's house, a sudden phone call in the middle of the night wakes her up. She grabs her cell phone and it's from Corey, what the, the dead fuck? kid. Hello? She answers the phone and it's the phantom on the other end of the line. And he says, I'm going to do it again and again until you make them remember. Hmm. So now we're in the kitchen and she's sitting with Deputy Foster because she went outside to 
tell him, obviously, since he's there all the time. And she's telling him of the phone call. And she thinks that she might have to tell the news or a reporter, which when she was in the hospital, the the sheriff like made it a point of saying, don't tell anything to the reporters. They're already oh. climbing all over this. Don't sure. say anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she says he's basically told me that he's going to do it again and again. He's trying to use me to send his message. And Deputy Foster, he assure, he assures her, like, listen, we will investigate this. You know, don't worry about it. And Jamie says she doesn't understand why the Phantom thinks that we, Texarkana, deserve this. Mm. And Deputy Foster says, listen, I wasn't born here, but I'll tell you one thing. Just about everyone here has some kind of blood on their hands. Okay. It's the next day and we hear a news report of the two murders that happened at the hotel and we get a montage of the two mayors of this town. So Texarkana is on the line and it's basically a town that has two of each thing. We have two mayors, two sheriffs, two police forces. But how do you run a town like this? Exactly. With double all the things. So we see the two mayors giving a press conference at the same time. They're both at the podium. (laughs) (laughs) And on the podium, there's a little like a a little sign that has Texas and Arkansas. And then the Texas mayor, who's a lady, is standing Uh on the Texas side of the podium. And then the Arkansas mayor, who is on the other side. It's so I was like what a goofy thing but you know whatever we also see cops from both arkansas and texas these two groups of cops are at the motel they're investigating they're looking through the bush we see citizens watching this report that's going on and they're boarding up their houses and adding chains to their doors and we see these images but they're interspliced with some of the same footage from the original movie because there is a part in the original where the people are so afraid that they start putting boards up in their windows and the chains. So it's literally like mirror images of these things. And we see the reverend from the top and he's doing his radio show and he's saying he this man has a heart full of hate, a soul consumed by vengeance. And we see (laughs) Grandma Cartwright at the gun range shooting at paper (laughs) targets. (laughs) And the paper target is a man with a pillowcase over his head. Mm -hmm. And then the news report says that the sheriff has been in contact with the Texas Rangers. But in the meantime, a town hall meeting has been scheduled. Mm -hmm. So here we are in the town meeting. The reverend leads the group in a word of prayer which happens also in the original. Siempre el padre está. A ver, Jesús Cristo, que nos ayuden a encontrar el que sé yo que puta. Okay. Mm-hmm. As he does, Jamie's voiceover comes in. And she says, this town is the only place I've ever known. And people are saying that the phantom is back. And that after 60 some years, he's back and we need to be ready. And we see... Classic town hall stuff. Just citizens standing up and yelling their complaints and I want this and how dare you and I think it's this fucking guy and we get a one old dude with one eye only. And he's like, every time we play that GD movie, there's a GD party going on here. What's the what the hell? What's the and GD we see, deal? 
<laughs> and both the mayors, Texas lady and Arkansas dude mayor, they're like, we will not show that movie ever again. And then we hear Jamie's voiceover saying, the phantom is our dirty secret. Everyone knows some piece of the story, but the whole truth has been all the way buried. And we see a citizen all the way in the back putting his hand up to try and speak, but being ignored. And this is coolest cat in town, Dennis O'Hare. Hey. Hello. Uh, I love him because he once was a guest on RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was like, look at you, you fucking cutie. I Amazing. love that you're here. And he did the that was his voiceover at the top, I think. That right? was his voiceover was like, at the this top. This voice sounds so familiar. Ah, that is it. him. A lady stands up and she says, of course, the phantom's back. You can't leave a candle burning in a window for someone and then be surprised when he finally shows up. So she's blaming the movie that we watch every year. Mm -hmm. That's the candle. Yeah, we've given him literally a red carpet every year that we still think about him, that we still talk about him. And so why don't you think he's why are you surprised that he's back? Mm hmm. Jamie continues in her voiceover saying most of the people alive back then are no longer with us or they just don't want to remember. But everything comes back. The past is alive. And her and her grandma get up from this town meeting and they're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And they leave. Now we're in the Texarkana City Hall archives. Jamie goes up to the door and a young man sitting at the desk is like, hello. And this is Nick. She says that the library archives only go back 10 years and they told her to come here to the archives to get more stuff. And Nick asks about the Phantom and she's like, yes. And he says, all that stuff is upstairs in the jail and he takes her over. So apparently the jail, the old jail was transformed into storage and that's where they keep all the old newspapers and stuff like that. Over at the sheriff's office, a voice comes in and says, listen up. As of this moment, the Texas Rangers are in charge of this investigation. Specifically, I am. And this is Lone Wolf Morales, played by Anthony Anderson. Yes. Just a fucking <laughs> What a delight. What oh a my dream. God. And I love that he's like Lone Wolf. Or he's like, I call myself <laughs> that because I think of myself in high regard. And I fucking earned it. I'm like, yes. And you better call me Lone call Wolf, me lone motherfucker. Wolf. Love it. So he gathers all the deputies and the sheriffs into the meeting room and he says, spark plug, give us the room. Now, because you haven't seen the original, this is a shout out to the OG where they have this bumbling fool that works in the police office and his name is spark plug and he's kind of a fucking idiot. And it's lovely that they gave him a shout out and spark they said, plug. hey, spark plug. <laughs> yeah. So he tells this room, this meeting, that he wants open communication between Texas and Arkansas. One person from each side reporting to him, mm -hmm. which if you're into true crime, a lot of times when there is stuff that happens in border areas, there's a lot of shit between police that investigations go like stuff goes missing or things aren't looked at or or. Cops won't share information. That's like and it's competition. like competition. Who's going to solve yeah. this? Uh, I.e. check out the Zodiac, which a lot of people think that this murderer actually is the Zodiac. No fucking way. 
a, a bit of a bit of trivia. Mm. People believe wow. that when he when he left Texarkana, he went on over to California and became a killer there. Because the 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 original uh, Moonlight murders were the, people weren't getting stabbed; they were getting mm-hmm. shot. They were getting shot. Damn. Mm. Scary. Mm. Scary. Back at the archives in the jail section used for storage, Jamie explains that we won't know who the phantom is now unless we figure out who he was back then. Very smart. Yeah. And then back at the sheriff's office, Lone Wolf is like, listen, I'm going to need the footage of that motel murder, the security cameras there, and also the original movie for I have never had the pleasure of seeing it. Same, Lone Wolf. Back at the archives, Nick shows Jamie a room full of dusty boxes, and he's like, this is all 1945 to 1952. And Jamie is like, cool, thanks, you can go now. And Nick is obviously into this girl. I mean, because all these teens are gorgeous. They're gorgeous teens, you know? Yeah, they're very good-looking teens. He's a skinny little mini and just, like, a cute little nerdy with his, like, bangs kind of (laughs) over here. Yeah, very cute. So he leaves her alone. And Jamie starts her investigation and she looks through crime photos and documents and arrest papers, particularly one of a man named Benjamin Sewell. And mm. de repente Nick is back and he's like, oh, uh, 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 you're Jamie Lerner. Yeah, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I went to Evans High with you and I recognized you when you came in and I just was worried that you were okay. Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, okay, well, um, I wanted to give you this file. It's the greatest hits of the Gazette published when it was happening. And I was like, okay, nerd. <laughs> Fucking spark plug over here. <laughs> he is. He's the spark plug. <laughs> And then he was like, and then there's also a retrospective. So, like, here's a bunch of information extra for you. And she says, thanks. She walks home. The streets are pretty empty. She waves hello to Deputy Foster in his cop car outside the house. And Hmm. Jamie comes home with some groceries. And we see that she picks up the mail. And it's an acceptance letter from Cal State. Mm -hmm. She quickly hides it. She grabs her computer and she starts it up to do more research and stuff when suddenly an email pops in and (laughs) (laughs) the sender is Texas Phantom. And I was like, oh, well, he got got himself a Gmail. Yeah. Texas Phantom at (laughs) Gmail.com. Dot com. (laughs) Texas Phantom. And the subject is reckoning. I was like, oh, boy. Hmm. So we hear the Phantom's voice reading, they couldn't catch me 66 years ago and they never will. And we cut to the sheriff's office where Lone Wolf is watching the motel murder footage and the Phantom's voiceover continues saying, I come and go as I please. I kill when I please. You may think I'm a horrible sick murderer, but I'm not. I love my neighbors. I wish they would stop and let my soul rest in peace. And now we see that Jamie is the one reading it out loud. For you see, I am the soul of Texarkana. I am the reckoning foretold. And we see that she's sitting in the sheriff's office in front of like the whole entire crew of cops. Chief Deputy Tillman, again, Gary Cole, is... A dick and very dismissive of her and of the email. He's like eating ramen noodles. Like, I don't give a fuck about you. 
And Jamie is like, well, the Zodiac sent a manifesto and Tillman is like, yeah, well, so did the son of Sam and so did the Axeman of New Orleans. But they sent them to reporters and not teenagers. And I just want to make a quick note that uh, in the Axeman of New Orleans's manifesto, he was like, jazz it was one of the things that he jazz it he he was warning new orleans he's like if you guys don't jazz it because it was in the 1920s yeah dude (laughs) he's like i'm gonna kill i'm gonna kill all of you but tonight you can jazz it (laughs) just the phrase jazz it made me laugh so much it sounds like he'd be like i'm gonna kill you tonight but tonight you can jazz it you know (laughs) see that kind of shit (laughs) yeah and then he comes into your room and murders you So, you know, she's being reprimanded, basically, by fucking uh, Deputy Tillman. But Lone Wolf pops in there and he's like, listen, yes, it could be a hoax. That's absolutely a possibility. But we want to take this and this young lady seriously, which I was like, thank you so much, dude. Loved this moment. Me too. And he says, if you think it's important we think it's important. I'm like, oh, please listen to women. Yes. So Jamie explains about Benjamin Sewell, this new person that she found and, and fucking Tillman comes in and he's like, yes, he was a car thief. He was arrested under suspicion that he was the phantom. And Jamie's like, yeah, but you know, after he was arrested, the killing stopped and he was in jail for 30 years. And Tillman still sassy is like, yeah, well he died last year. And Jamie's like, I know, but I talked to a nurse that worked in the hospital he was at. And she said that a young man used to come in and see him, his son. And what if that's him? What if the Phantom is this guy's kid finishing his work? And Tillman is like, yeah, well, his son died in a bar fight two years ago. So suck a dick. And Mm. Jamie's like, obviously didn't know this information. And the wind, she is deflated. She's like, well, fuck. So we see her driving up to her house and Nick is sitting on her doorstep and he says he's found some cool stuff for Jamie from when they were making the movie here in Texarkana. And Jamie's grandma comes out and she's like, uh-huh. What are you? What about college? Yeah. Uh-huh. Come on. Where just, are your parents? This is your uh-huh. Iliana right like just, here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What was it? And poor Nick is like, yeah, I'm making money first before I go to college. And my parents moved to Denton. And <laughs> so Jamie's like, grandma, can you kindly fuck <laughs> off? I'm trying to talk to a boy. And grandma does. So Jamie and Nick sit on the porch and they look over the stuff that he brought and she asks him why he's helping her with all of this. And he gets all nerdy and shy. He's like, I always wanted to talk to you. I never saw you with like a boyfriend or friends or anything. And I asked around and so someone told me about and she interjects what my parents or that the last seven years I've been totally out of it. And Nick reveals that his parents are also out of the picture because his dad killed himself and his mom is in a mental institution. Mm. And then he asks her to go. I know. So we're getting like throughout the movie. It's never punched in the face 
who the yeah. suspects are. We just get little tidbits of things where you're like, oh, that seems iffy. I mean, this is this is, you know, a scream situation where it's like, oh, it, who did it? Who's who's doing it? Who you is know, it? like that's that's the fun of it. Who's the murderer? Pero también, Absolutely. I was like, uh-huh. Is this not a little too soon for a romance after watching your fucking boyfriend or possible future boyfriend get brutally murdered? Because that's what's being established here. Romance. Absolutely. Yeah. Romance is to the point where he says, do you want to go to the vigil of this man you were dating and Our the soldier and the girl is to a uh, to a vigil our first date, the ro- can you feel the love tonight right now? Just uh, we're- <laughs> this is what Elton John wrote about. <laughs> I was like, really? Do we need this right now? Sure. It's fine. It's fine. Totally. At the school, Nick and Jamie head into the vigil. And they pass a kid, which is the same kid, one of the people that get special attention from the camera when it was panning in the drive-in at the top is this same kid. So they pass this kid. He goes one way. They go towards the vigil. And in the courtyard, people huddle around. They're holding candles around posters and flowers for the girl that died, the soldier that died, and for Corey. Nick and Jamie hold hold hands. hands. As they walk in through this crowd, which has Corey's parents amongst them, incredibly like, uncomfortable. Jamie, Literally, the turn to, to him and just girl, be like, I get it. You need support. And say, be like, not this right might now. not be the best time, honey. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, 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 yeah. The crowds part and everybody's fucking staring at them because obviously she's the girl that was there in yeah. the first murder. So, you know, it's not cool. And. We also have the sheriff is there and uh, a bunch of the deputies, some fellow soldiers slash Marines are there in their in their blues. Blues? Is that what they're wearing? Whatever. De repente, from the back of the group, we hear heavy breathing like through a bag. Mm. And we see that the phantom is here. And he's just walking into this crowd. The crowd screams and it scatters. And as the phantom is approaching them, just as he's walking up, two shots, bam, bam, and the phantom goes down. One of the Marines that's there, he holds out his arms and he's like, arrest me, arrest me. He killed my friend, but I got him. Arrest me. I got his ass. And he gets down to the ground and Jamie is close to this, the dead phantom. And she pulls the bag off the phantom's face. And it's Mm -hmm. the kid that we watched walk away earlier. Now we're in a fancy restaurant. A live brass band of youths plays a trumpet, a trombone, a stand-up bass, just a delightful, youthful group of a band. The reverend's there having dinner. The lady mayor from Texas is there also. And we hear a bunch of cop cars arriving outside. And the sheriff comes in. He approaches the mayor's table and whispers to her the news. And she walks up to the band interrupts them, hops on that mic, and she's like, hello, everyone at the restaurant. It seems as though the phantom has been shot. Now, we don't know what his condition is, but no one else was hurt. (laughs) And then she's like, Reverend, will you stand up and say a prayer for gratitude for us? And the, the Reverend is like, oh, yeah, my time to shine. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much. He was like, 
already up. Just a yes. You didn't even have to Jesus, ask me. Jesus, we appreciate you and everything about you. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, <laughs> and then the mayor, once he's done praying, is like, listen, <laughs> let's get some. I, I think it's appropriate, appropriate is, is the, the word, word she you says. Yeah, I think it's appropriate for us to play some music to get us dancing. This is the most inappropriate thing I've ever seen. A person is dead. You're going to do this with literally, (laughs) you don't have any proof. You don't know what happened. Somebody just came up and whispered it in your your ear and told you something might have happened. And you're like, time to dance. Think, 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 think. Hello, everyone. Let's fucking. Is this thing on? Because I'm about to do a type five so we can fucking celebrate. Ma'am. Ma'am. Oh my God. So the mayor then, now a conductor apparently, is like, okay, boys, I'm going to lead you off. Ready? And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. <laughs> like, what? Oh, man. And uh, the, there's two kids we focus in on in the band. I call them Trumpet. And trombone. Mm -hmm. So trumpet and trombone look at each other like this fucking old bitch. Sure, why not? And um, they start playing, I don't know, Glenn Miller or something. It literally sounds like (laughs) totally is. Totally is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So some couples stand up and they're like jazzily dancing. (laughs) Jazz it. They're just fucking (laughs) doing it. Jazz it. And so afterwards, Trumpet and Trombone are heading out of the the restaurant and they're like, oh boy, what a night, am I right? What a crazy old hoe. In a convertible, they drive into what looks like a sign graveyard. You remember in Vegas? We never went when we went to Vegas, but in Vegas, there's the neon sign graveyard. It's similar to this, but it's like billboards and old pieces of, you know, signage that belong to department stores or Very buildings cool or set. whatever. I loved this set. Really, I love really this. cool and creepy. Yeah, me too. Very creepy. So they it's kind of like the signs kind mm-hmm. of make a maze. So they kind of like swerve in through this graveyard mm. of signs and they park. And uh all <laughs> and then I just wrote Gay? Yes! <laughs> I was so happy. Oh, my God. I knew you would be happy. Oh, I was so excited for them. And Trumpet (laughs) turns to Trombone and he's like, so how did this work? And Trombone is like, I don't know. And I was like, bitch, you know, don't try and play me. This was interesting to me because it seems that they had discussed something before this meeting. Mm -hmm. Like they were like, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel romantic. It felt sexual, which I appreciate because it was like yeah, yeah. they had discussed something where they're like, we're going to fucking get our rocks off with each other. And who knows? Like, maybe it could turn because I imagine. Right. Some of these things are like, we're just we're not gay. We just want to like, you know, just like get off. But I never felt like no homo. But will you suck my dick? Like, I never felt that at all. no. Not at all. It felt like it could lead to something more like we actually like each other here. But first off, like, right. This This is is experimental. experimental. Exactly. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I genuinely was like, what's it like to be gay? (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready? Are you ready? 
Sit down, this, get comfortable. This conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I just mean like, I just mean like being a gay teen and like the conversation almost felt, I don't want to like transactional, mm-hmm. not in a bad connotation way. Like literally he says, I thought maybe you could yeah. suck it. And then trumpet is like, and what is it hard? And and trombone is like, yeah, isn't yours? Like it's yeah. casual, it's simple, but it's also like because he's he trombone says you do me and I'll do yeah. you afterwards. So there wasn't like it. It didn't feel threatening, which yes. often I feel like when this kind of stuff is portrayed on TV, there is a level of fear involved. This felt. Uh, Curious, genuine and curious and totally yeah yeah. honestly it reminded me of when i was a teenager and i was like had just kind of come out but not to everybody and there was a person i wasn't sure if they were gay or not and the conversation we Mm -hmm. had where i was like nothing happened between us but i remember we had a conversation at a party where i was like how far can I go with you to discover like what Uh we can do together? Because I felt something that was like, I feel you're giving this energy to me, but I need to, Mm -hmm. I need to discover it, which I was like this, just being able to see this between these two, uh, these two teens. I was like, I relate very, very much, you know? And I was like, I, I'm glad that this is Mm -hmm. shown because like, Again, it brought up the question for me, like, how do you be gay as a teen? Like, that's so. I mean, let's be. Look, something bad's about to happen, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, we have a death about to approach. But usually in this case, it is a straight couple. Yeah. Usually. So I was like, I even though these two boys are about to get brutally murdered. I'm so sorry. Yeah. At least I was like, I appreciate the little switch, the little switch up. You know, cool. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about what dick is hard and what we can do and what kind of what. (laughs) (laughs) They're both hard. They're both like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's let's, do it. Let's do some fun stuff. I was so excited for that. I'll touch yours. You touch mine. It'll be so it's so cute. So. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) But they look ahead and on one of the giant billboards, (gasps) which actually has the reverend's fucking face on it. Love this choice. The reverend staring at these boys as they're about to suck each other's dicks. Watching them. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And on the face of the reverend, suddenly a shadow appears. The phantom. Just let them suck each other's dicks. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dude. So trombone is like, dude, drive, drive this fucking car. And trumpet tries to turn the car on. As soon as it does, trombone is like, you know what? Fuck it. And he jumps out of the car because it's a convertible, Uh. no top. He jumps right out. And the phantom is walking at sweet baby trumpet he fucking pipes that motherfucker right across the back of the head making him crash into the signs in front of him and trombone is running through this maze of broken billboards which very cool and in uh and purposeful we see specific words as he's running by so we see like phase two and Mm. remember and atone (gasps) and then suddenly fucking pipe to the face trombone goes down 
and we see these flashes, this like like light slowly coming on and off of the phantom picking up the trombone case and then putting it together and then attaching a Bowie knife, which is the big crazy knives to the end of the trombone handle, the part that goes mm-hmm. out when you honk <laughs> that it. Makes sense I don't to know. Me. I don't know trombone terms. <laughs> when you honk it, okay, it goes great. out. and also this is what happens in Mm -hmm. the og Mm -hmm. movie too we see trumpet has his hands and feet tied together like hog tied kind of but around a rusty old pole on the top of like Mm -hmm. a platform and behind him the phantom is like tooting that trombone (sighs) testing out how he's gonna (sighs) do it and uh and trumpet starts coming too, and he looks down from this platform on the floor below him, where he sees the word of with all the pieces of these like signs, phantom Ugh. spelled out, and then from behind it, trombone is crawling towards oh. him. His face fucking oh beat my God, the his fuck face. in. He is like. Fuck, just eyes swollen shut, bleeding all over the place, already fucked. Trumpet yells from that platform. He says, run, run, you got to get out of here. But Phantom has a silencer gun and he shoots that poor kid right Mm. in the fucking head. Mm -hmm. Trombone Mm -hmm. on the ground. Trumpet cries. He's like drooling everywhere. He's fucking so upset. And then from behind him, the phantom just honks that trombone and stabs him over and over and over again. Just honk, 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 playing it. Which in the original Mm -hmm. movie, it feels kind of goofy because. Well, it's ridiculous. Like. (laughs) It is. You're stabbing somebody to death with a trump trombone. It's, I mean, you're honking them to yeah. death. But <laughs> this was so awful. Oh, it was brutal. We see yeah. his back just like, and you get a close fucked. up of, of his face as he's getting stabbed and dying. Mm-hmm. And this is where yeah. I've, uh, I had a realization here while I was watching this movie. I was like, uh-huh. I've seen this before. Pero I stopped right here because I had a reaction to this scene where I was like, I I was really upset years ago because this came out in 2014. I can't remember specifically, but I saw this and I was like, I've seen this scene like everything that comes next. I had no recollection of. But I remember specifically at this point, I was like, I can't watch anymore. And that doesn't usually happen to me in movies. I'll watch the full thing. I'm surprised. I had a visceral reaction to this scene right now because it felt, you know, I was like, I I relate to these boys. You know, it was it was fucked. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. So it's the next day and Jamie brings Deputy Foster a cup of joe to his car. It's the morning and she asks him about the guy at the vigil who got shot. And Deputy Foster says, oh, he was a freshman at Texarkana College. He was a messed up kid. But no, he wasn't Mm. the phantom. He was just looking to get shot. Suicide by cop, basically. He even left a suicide note in the dorm room that he was in. And uh, and then Deputy Foster says, also, I didn't want to tell you this, but 
there was another murder Fuck. last night and it happened after this kid was shot. So over at the sheriff's office, Lone Wolf and the actual sheriff talked the possibilities of what's going on and what's coming next and whatever. And the sheriff says that, well, in the movie, after the trombone killings, there's a double homicide in a farmhouse. <laughs> And then Lone Wolf says, but every damn house out here is a farmhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I laughed at. So next day, it's Christmas Eve. Lone Wolf and De So this has been happening since uh, Halloween, by the way. Yes. So Lone Wolf and Deputy Tillman go over to the Texarkana Fellowship Church to talk to the Reverend. Because it turns out that the email that the Texas Phantom sent to Jamie was sent from the Reverend's computer. The FBI oh, wow. found that out. Reverend. It's nighttime and Nick is heading over to Jamie's house and they go out for a stroll and Deputy Foster is driving his car close behind. And Nick tells Jamie, you know. I found Charles Pierce Jr., who is the son of the director of the original film. And he still lives in Texarkana. So maybe we can get in touch with him. In a bar, we see that the TV is playing the uh, report with Lone Wolf explaining that the Reverend is not the Phantom. But, you know, we did take him in just as Deputy Tillman walks in to this bar. And he eyes the local bar fly, Ardell. In the background, we see Dennis O'Hare playing on the jukebox, a little creepily, mm. it seems. Just as Tillman explains that he's he's the one that arrested Reverend and uh, Ardell is Ooh. horny for that. She's like, <laughs> she gives him some crazy fuck me eyes and uh, suddenly a bluesy tune is playing and we see the outside of Tillman's farmhouse uh -oh. inside Ardell is doing the old job she's as Katya and Trixie like to say sucking dick and cock yes girl go for doing it doing the old job wow <laughs> Tillman is enjoying himself thoroughly obviously and on his side table there's a gun and a beer and he reaches over for the old mm -hmm. fake out but instead of grabbing the gun he grabs the beer, he takes a sip, and bam! Ooh. A fucking shot through the eye. Damn! Literally, you can see the brain <laughs> in the hole of the eye, which I thought looked really cool. Oh uh, Yeah, it was great. This, this whole setup here was very, very good. I like that they give us the fake out where they're like, oh shit, is he about to grab the, is he the killer? Uh-huh. For just a second. Uh -huh. Clearly not. No. But it ain't. <laughs> So we see from his perspective out the window that the fan, the phantom is outside with a silencer gun and he's the one that did the shot, obviously. Ardell looks up from her job <laughs> and she sees that fucking Tillman is fucking dead. I can see the brain through the hole. And uh, she fucking gets up. She turns around and there's the phantom and fucking my dude Kool-Aid wow. man styles through no, wait, like he fully. Oh, yeah. Through that fucking uh, front door and chases after Ardell. Ardell runs out the other way, screaming into a wheat field. So fucking Ardell is running, but the phantom's already on her ass. Again, oh, not running, God. stalking. He pulls out his gun. He fucking shoots it mm. and she drops. And he walks into this field and we see that she's not dead. She's just crawling now. She's mm -hmm. under the eye line uh, into, in this bushy whatever. 
and he's walking and she's going through and we get an aerial shot where you see her like line just all crooked and he's going straight through. It's very cool. I like that shot. And all we hear while this is happening is really heavy breathing through Mm. the bag. Suddenly, Ardell stops and looks up and it's a scarecrow, but she thinks it's the fucking phantom. I jumped. I was like, what the fuck (laughs) is that mierda? And uh, when she screams, he hears her and he follows the sound. He finds her at the foot of the scarecrow and stabs her to death. The next morning, the neighbors... Uh, Tillman's neighbors are heading out and getting into their truck and the man turns to see that Ardell is now tied up where the scarecrow once was with the Bowie knife (sighs) in her chest. The camera pans over on this farmhouse and it transforms into the 1970s film crew filming this exact scene from the original movie very cool the actor is performing like he smashes the window to shoot the person in the seat and uh and it like keeps going through and we hear charles pierce's junior voice And he's saying, oh, my dad was a genius visionary. He could have been the next Orson Welles if he had gone to Hollywood. But he decided to stay stay in Texas to tell Texas stories. And now we're in Charles Pierce Jr.'s house. And Charles Pierce Jr. is Dennis O'Hare, is what we discover. And this house is full of paraphernalia from the original movie, including the Mm -hmm. pillowcase, the original one. And uh, Jamie is asking him questions, saying she's writing a piece on the legacy of the film and of this of this murderer and the town. And Charles says, well, I can tell you who the killer is. And we're like, oh, okay, cool, great. And he says that his father had been doing research and he talked to fucking everybody in town. And people believe that the Phantom was Benjamin Sewell, Sewell, but it wasn't. He truly was like, nope, not him at all. No, the police just wanted someone to be the killer. My dad told me about Hank Mm. McCready. And we get this flashback of like cops running down these train tracks and the camera pans down and we see a fucking fully dissected body. Like three different parts. Head. Chest, arms, legs, like everything chopped up. Yikes. Yeah, fucked. And he explains that the police on the Arkansas side of Texarkana found this body by the railroad track that it had been run over by a train, quote unquote. And the Arkansas police said that body was the phantom committing suicide. But based on nothing, they were just like, this is a guy that happens to be here. Yes, this is it. But Hank McCready's wife, the the now deceased man, she was hella pregnant and super pissed and she demanded an autopsy. And it turns out that he wasn't run over by a train, that he was stabbed a two Ugh. dozen times. And Charles Pierce Jr. says that his dad had a theory that The Phantom killed McCready, his last victim, and then he hopped on a train to California to become the Zodiac. (laughs) Jamie says, I've read everything about this and I've never heard the name McCready. And Charles said it should have been in the front page news. But while Arkansas was finding this dead body, 
Texas side was arresting mm, mm-hmm. Seawalt. And if they had looked closer and had done some uh, cross examinationing of things, they would have noticed that Sewell was in custody when McCready was being killed, proving that neither of them were the phantom. But the pregnant wife, Mary, Mary, Mary she stayed alive and super pissed. And she said that Texarkana had done worse than kill her husband. It had <gasps> shat on his memory and shit on her life and on her son's life. And Nick pipes up because Nick is there at this place. And he's like, so you think that it was the son? And Charles is like, no, 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 no. McCready is dead. His son is dead. But his grandson is still alive. That's mm-hmm. the phantom. And Jamie's like, what's the proof? What's the proof in this jam? And or is this just something that your dad told you? And Charles is like, listen, my dad wanted me to make a sequel to the town to set the record straight about the McCready's. And he tracked down Mary McCready. And I found that scary old (laughs) bitch on her deathbed. And she warned me. She said, my grandson would do what my son didn't have the balls to do make Texarkana pay for its sin so as Jamie and Nick leave Charles's house Nick doesn't Hmm. seem to believe him and Jamie is like "Mm, I'm not sure either but this sounds kind of probable and Nick says for all they know Charles Pierce Jr. Mm -hmm. could be the phantom and Jamie is like yeah but he doesn't have a reason why his story is told his father's is told they are both part of the legend Everyone in the movie, in the town, everyone has their part that has been played. But McCready is nowhere. He was totally erased by history, not even in the papers, nothing, no plaque, not even in the movie that they show every Mm. single year in this town. So Hank McCready's grandson, he would see this, this this erasure as an injustice. Jamie arrives home to her grandma having discovered her acceptance letters to college and Jamie is about to explain but she's like listen I don't want this mess this like phantom mess to take over your life and be the most important thing for you and Jamie's like well it kind of is now (laughs) and her grandma's like well I talked to your uncle in California and he says that we can stay with them as long as we want so pack up your shit. We're leaving before daybreak. Why do people want to do things in the dark? Before daybreak, wait for the sun. Wait for the sun. But I was also like, you know what? Yeah, go. Yeah, let's get out of there. Totally. So Jamie quickly texts Nick. He comes over. He asks tomorrow for sure. And she's like, yeah, I'm already packed. And he's like, I can come visit. And she's like, yeah, maybe you will. And they come close and they kiss. But it's like a for reals kiss. And then she's like, would you like to come inside? (laughs) Which she doesn't say. She says it with her eyes. And suddenly we're... (laughs) <laughs> yes, and suddenly we're fucking, and I'm like, bro, your grandma ain't gonna hear this. Y'all banging thing. in the fucking shush next it. room. Shush, shush your, <laughs> shush your moans. So afterwards, they kiss goodbye. Nick walks out, and he sees Deputy Foster's cop car in the front, and he's like, I'm just gonna go mm. in the back. I'll mm-hmm. go the other way, so he doesn't see me. So he walks past these houses in like their backyards. 
where their automatic lights pop on every time he passes mm-hmm. their sensor. So it's darkness, Nick walking, darkness, walking, darkness, walking, darkness, phantom! Head to the ceiling. <laughs> Bam. What a jump scare. Me too. This scared the shit out of me. It scared me, too. I jumped so, so (laughs) fucking high. And when we see the Phantom, he swings Mm. a pipe. And we're like, oh, shit. Back at Jamie's, her and her grandma are loaning up in the car. It's fully nighttime still. But not before Jamie heads over to Deputy Foster's car, still parked out front. And she's like, we don't know if anybody told you. We're going to California. But here... This is some paperwork of some stuff I've been investigating. It's McCready. Mm. Um, You know, send it to somebody. I think it might be something. Uh, And Foster says, I promise I'll look into it. Cool. Jamie hops in her car and off they go through the dark streets of Texarkana. And grandma says, I've never left Texas my whole life. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. They stop at a gas station for a coffee, a Danish, and some waters, and Jamie goes into the little gas station store, but not before passing El Señor Sin Ojo that was screaming Mm -hmm. in in the town hall. She's like, oh, hello there. Good morning to you. And she goes inside of the little store. She grabs the waters from the shittiest fridge that ever fucking existed. I was like, this is your fridge, bro? Okay. We hear on the radio that it's New Year's now. As she's pouring coffee into a to-go cup, she sees an old poster for a showing of the town that dreaded sundown. And she heads over to the cashier and she hands her card and he puts it in the old timey kind of um, cash. What is it? Uh, Credit card thing. Sure. I mean, it's it's how you did your credit card always makes me think of Home Alone, too. When he's like, wow, it worked or whatever he said. It makes me think of working at my tia's fucking tienda because I had to do that all the time. My God. But used cleverly right here, I must say. Yes, because when the cashier chick chicks Mm -hmm. on the credit card, it kind of muffles a faraway gunshot, Mm -hmm. it seems. But Jamie kind of listens and then suddenly two more bang, bang shots out of nowhere. And she's like, what the fuck? So she heads outside and she walks over and she sees El Señor Sin Ojo dead on the fucking floor. Gas flowing everywhere. I was like, oh, God, that's so scary. And fucking blood pouring out of a gunshot wound to the head. She walks over to her to the car her own car and she sees that her grandma is standing outside on the passenger side and she walks around the car and there is blood pouring out of her neck not the grandma oh man not grandma cartwright so she's got a gunshot there and jamie screams grandma no and the attendant comes out to try and see and bam that dude gets shot in the head too and jamie is holding at her grandma's horrible neck wound and then there's two more shots and she has to get the fuck out of there so she scoots behind the car she crawls around to the back of the car and she sees that her grandma's just laying there Ugh. fucking bleeding out but that her purse is there so she kind of looks across the street and in a window up in one of the buildings she sees the phantom so she quickly gets the courage grabs her grandma's purse and fucking bolts down the street and she's fucking running 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 but of course this motherfucker comes down and he's just stalking down the street after her 
and she runs into the train station of the town. And as she's climbing, as she's walking up these stairs into the train station, she trips and her grandma's purse falls and a fucking Ooh. gun flies out of there. Cause motherfucker, yep. we're in Texas or maybe Arkansas, <laughs> but either way, hell yeah, grandma's got a gun in her purse. So Jamie grabs the gun and she hides behind the wall and the phantom comes up to the building. He shoots the chain of the door because she kind of like slid her tiny body through. But he's a giant man. So she he shoots the thing. He goes inside. He's looking around and suddenly her fucking telephone rings her cell phone. She looks at it and it's Corey again. What the fuck? So she gets up and she runs and she jumps out of an open window and down some stairs and through some chain link fences. And now she's out behind the train station, which is where the tracks are at. She trips over the tracks and lands on the gravel. And next to her where she falls is Nick's dead fucking body, like but in pieces, just like McCready. Not Nick. And on his body, there's a little sign that says forgotten she calls someone we don't know who and she's like oh the phantom the phantom's here oh my goodness the phantom and the phantom responds saying you're like a dog with a bone ain't ya and the train goes by and she's like what the fuck and we see like you know how in movies Mm -hmm. when trains go by you just see like flashes almost we see his eye in the bag and then her being afraid and she fucking books it into the woods again She's running and running through this wooded area and she's still holding her gun. She gets to this like Bayou Creek vibe situation when swish a Ugh. fucking arrow into Not her an leg. Arrow, I said no. And well, so at this moment I was like arrow and I was suspicious as to where we were going oh. with this. And immediately I started to lose a little uh, faith. Oh, well. And let's see. So we see that the Phantom now has a bow and mm-hmm. fucking arrow. And I was like, okay. And so she still gets up with an arrow in her leg. And she's walking and walking or trying to run. And she looks up ahead and the Phantom is there. And she's like, huh? When suddenly from behind another arrow through her shoulder. And she falls to the ground, breaking the arrow, which I was like, ah, horrible. She looks to her left, a phantom. She looks to her right, another phantom. Motherfucker, it's Scream. We have two. Honestly surprised. I did not think that there were going to be two. I agree. Was also surprised. So they both walk up to her. And one of them comes up real close and climbs on top of her body and smells her. And when he's doing that, she grabs the bag over his head and pulls it off. It's Deputy Foster. And she's like, what the fuck? He grabs her face. He turns it to the other phantom and says, go on, show her, boy. And the other phantom pulls the bag off of his face. And it's Corey. And this is where I was Mm. like, oh, and Jamie freaks out and she's like, wait a second. I saw you die. I saw you die. How, what the hell? I saw you die. And Foster said, no, if you remember correctly, actually, you didn't really see him die. And we get a flash from the beginning where she's seeing everything as a shadow mm-hmm. on the wall. And she's like, no, I saw your body. Your, they found your body. They found it. And, and Deputy Foster's like, nope, I found his body. And uh, 
it was a runaway kid that they just fucking picked up. They fucked up his face. They killed him and they knocked out all his teeth and left two of Corey's teeth behind in his mouth, which is fucked. And Jamie says, one of you is Hank McCready's grandson. One of you is it. Who is it? And Deputy Foster says, it's me. And now, thanks to you, they'll remember my granddaddy. So she asks Corey, why the fuck did you do it? All those people died. My grandma, you killed my fucking grandma. And Corey says, born in Texarkana, dead in Texarkana. But not me, baby. This town decided who who everybody was when it wanted to. It decided that you were the crazy girl with dead parents. But at the same time, it decided that for me, too, I'm a star football player, golden boy, go to college like my dad and come back to the town that I'm from like my dad. Well, fuck that. Poor and I was baby. Like, Poor baby. I don't feel sorry for you. You fuck. What? What? What is this? Exactly. And I was like, I literally was, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was incredibly disappointed by this reveal. Uh, uh, okay, so it's Deputy Foster and... Yeah, that fine. I'm fine I knew with. that was coming. Honestly, toward the, like, there was definitely a, a full moment where I was like, it's clearly Nick. I was certain it was mm-hmm. Nick. But then as we got closer to the end, I was like, oh, it's clearly Deputy Foster. Got it. That's who it's going to be. So, mm-hmm. but... This, the Corey thing, that's, I mean, that's just being like, we needed, like, we wanted to kind of throw you for a loop and just kind of give you a twist at the end. Well, especially because he goes on to say, I want to be remembered like the Phantom. When people talk about him, I'll know that I made that happen. And it's like, what? What the it just, fuck? It's just not strong enough. It's just not strong no. enough, unfortunately. The Foster thing, fine. But the Corey thing, sure. honestly, unnecessary. Although, at the top, for the murder sequence, when he's supposedly murdering Corey, and you're like, is he <laughs> ejaculating or whatever? I think uh-huh. he's just yeah, like, yeah, basically, yeah. he's like covering this kid with fake blood to make it look like a murder scene, you know? Or like he's doing sure, something sure, there. Sure. So it's like it just it, it to be convincing for Jamie that like he's been brutally murdered. Right. You know, I was like, oh, OK, right. sure. But still, I don't know. The Corey thing, unnecessary. So much so yeah. that. <laughs> so, so much so that even fucking Deputy Foster thinks it's unnecessary because he fucking blows this kid's brains out. He pulls a gun when he's like, it's going to be me. I'm a star bang to the fucking head. Bye. So he climbs on top of Jamie again and he's pressing her arrow wound and they're like, they're going to, and she says, they're going to keep looking for you. You can't just fucking do this. They're going to keep looking for you. And she, and he says, why would they? When I was the one that caught the two kids that were obsessed with the phantom, that one of them faked his death and that the other was even willing to kill her own grandma. And as he's saying this, he flips her over and we get a quick glance of her dropped gun right in front of her. And 
Foster continues saying, they'll believe me. And he lifts his knife because everyone in this town just wants to believe this whole thing is over. And suddenly Jamie turns around and she fucking shoots him in the chest. He falls back with his head kind of floating in the bayou behind him. And she stands up. She walks over to him. She says, it is over. And she shoots him in the fucking head sending his body floating down the Bayou River, which in the original movie is also, you know, they're like, we never found the killer, but some say that he died in the Bayou, which that I like that connection. Now, why did McCready pick her? That I truly don't know. Is it because she's a writer? She like, you know, she was like, I write for the Gazette or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So he knew that she was she had like the smarts to enough to like spread his message to to discover the McCready connection. So that's why, you know, a Corey knew her from school or whatever was like, I know you're really smart. So they I don't know. These two kind of figured out a way to like she's the one we should pick because she'll figure it out. But. I'm not convinced here. Had she not killed him at the end and not survived, he would have murdered her. He was literally about to stab her. Yeah. So wouldn't his story continue unknown, the McCready story, if he had murdered her? Because then it wouldn't come to light. Am I wrong? Well, because she gave him the paperwork. I mean, it's his grandpa. He knows it anyways. So maybe that could have been a way for him to like shine the light on his grandpa. I'm a little unclear here. Exactly. So it's very weird. So we see the town of Texarkana and we hear Jamie's voiceover and she's saying, this is a story about Texarkana, a town that is really two towns, two sheriffs, two mayors, and in the end, two phantoms. The hardest thing for my town has been wrestling to understand how Foster and Corey found each other and put those masks on and did those horrible things. They had nothing linking them, nothing in common except for darkness in their souls, which this line in particular, I was like, you're literally telling us that this is just like bullshit. (laughs) You know what I mean? That there is no... There is no reason behind it. The thing is, like, when I was watching the movie and the two phantoms came out, I was like, ooh, I like this twist. And, you know, the the fact that there were two, I liked the line, like, two cities, two two mayors, two phantoms. I was like, cool, I, I, I like the idea. But the more you think about it, and then given this explanation, like, there's literally no connection. It's not scary. It's just, it just feels not well thought out. Unfortunately, yeah. which is a yeah. bummer because we've been having a good time. Yeah, it's truly like it jumped the shark at the end mm. and it sucks. We see that someone is reading the Texarkana Gazette and the piece on the front page is written by Jamie. As for me, I did what my grandma always wanted. And we see Jamie walking in her new college campus with new pals. She says, I left Texas to a new life to a place where no one knows who I am or what I survived, where I'm the only person that knows that as quickly and senselessly as death came to Texarkana in 1946 and then again late last year, Jamie walks through her empty college campus alone at night, which I'm like, girl, this is the epitome of what you don't do in college. 
is walk around Hello. alone at night on your fucking After what you've the survived fuck? No. Some brutal, vicious murders. What you better have the some hell? mace or something in that purse. As quickly as senselessly as death can come to Texarkana, it can come back the next time the sun goes down. And she's walking by a brick wall, and suddenly a shadow appears following Jamie of a man with a bag over his head. Fin de la película. Nicely done. You know, I liked this movie. It, it definitely has its faults. It so has did its faults, I. But I still had a good time. I had a great time, which is why I am so frustrated with the ending. Because I genuinely was like, like you said, up until the point where I was like, oh, two fucking phantoms? Whoa, what the hell? And then that reveal, I was like, what a weird, yeah. it was so weird. With no so. explanation behind it, really. Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's get into some yeah. trivia. All right, here is my trivia for today. Let's talk about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. This is from Wikipedia. So it says here, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders were a series of unsolved serial murders and other violent crimes committed in and around the Texarkana region between Arkansas and Texas in the spring of 1946. They were attributed to an alleged unidentified serial killer known as the Phantom Killer or Phantom Slayer. Yikes. The hypothetical mm. perpetrator is credited with attacking eight people, five of whom were murdered in a 10-week period. The attacks occurred at night on weekends between February 22nd and May 3rd, targeting male-female pairs. The first three attacks were at lovers' lanes or quiet stretches of road on the Texas side. The fourth attack occurred at an isolated farmhouse in Arkansas. Hello? The murders were reported nationally and internationally by several publication and publications and caused a state of panic in Texarkana throughout the summer. At dusk, heavily armed residents locked themselves indoors while police patrolled streets and neighborhoods. In the course of investigations, there have been shifting opinions by officials of whether the first and fourth attacks were committed by the same perpetrator. The prime suspect in the case was... Ewell, Ewell, Swinney, Ewell, I'll say, a career petty criminal sure. who was linked to the murders primarily by statements from his wife, plus additional circumstantial evidence. However, after Swinney's wife refused to testify against him, prosecutors decided against pursuing murder charges, though Swinney was sentenced to a long term as a habitual car thief and forger. Two of the lead mm -hmm. investigators believe him to be guilty. The events inspired many works, including the 1976 film The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which is the basis for much of the myth and folklore around the murders. So that's just a little bit about this case. I did want to mention, though, that apparently there was a woman in the farmhouse where that dude was actually shot and murdered, similarly to that. Pero she survived, she survived. and she was shot in the fucking face. Yeah, Twice dude. in the face. In the movie, they do they show it. And it's like in like right Damn. in her mouth. It's and she very lived. fucked. Yeah. She lives. She's the one yeah. that runs out into the fucking field. This, oh, wow. I was just like, damn, lady. Oof. Can I can't even imagine. Okay. Uh so let's just talk very, very briefly about the original The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I also found this from Wikipedia. It's a 1976 American thriller film and horror film directed and produced by Charles B. Pierce and written by Earl E. Smith. And something interesting that I discovered right here is that 
The music for the film was composed by Jaime Mendoza Nava, who, according mm-hmm. to Wikipedia, was a Bolivian American composer. <gasps> oh my God, Johnny! And conductor who was born in La Paz, Bolivia in 1925. I don't know if anybody knows this. I lived in Bolivia, in La Paz. I lived in La Paz, Bolivia for like five, six years. So it feels like home to me. I This was so wonderful to discover. I saw this Latino name on the credits and I was like, oh, well, that's so fun yeah. that we have a little Latino up in here. But that's so fun that he's Bolivian. That's even cooler. So he studied at Juilliard, fancy pants. Excusez-moi. He's worked on what looks like a lot of horror movies. Like I've seen them in his credits. Dope. And I almost was like, can we include these on Uy Horror? I don't know if music, like if like music by would be too much yeah. of a stretch, but I'm going to look into them. <laughs> and if there are more, you okay. know, Latinx people in there, we're fucking doing it. Um, so I thought that was very, very <laughs> cool. Just about the original. That's very cool. Let's talk about Alfonso Gomez. Rejon, who is the director of this film. He was born November 6th, 1972. He's an American film and television director. His television credits include Glee and American Horror Story. And he was actually nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Directing for a Miniseries for American Horror Story Coven, which I loved. I've never seen an episode of Glee. I watched the first two seasons and eventually I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. This is not. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, I have enough theater, musical theater stuff going on in my life. I'm Uh, good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you so much. So he is most (laughs) known for his second feature film, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which I've heard of, but never seen. You've seen this? I haven't seen. I heard it's very sweet and makes you cry. Um. It says here he began his professional career as personal assistant to Martin Scorsese, Nora Ephron, Robert De Niro, and yes. Alejandro González Iñárritu. He gained extensive experience as a second unit director, including such film uh, films as Babel. Babel? Babel, right? And fucking Babel. Julie and Julia. Julia! Oh, my God. I'm hungry. I'm so hungry right now. Oh, my God. Me, too. It's been growling this whole fucking episode. He is of Mexican-American descent. He was born and raised in Laredo, Texas. Laredo, I guess, Texas. And uh, he dedicated his (laughs) movie, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, to his father, Julio C. Gomez Rejon, M.D. So he was a doctor. Doctor! That's that's a little something I've got on on Gomez Rejon. Nice job with this movie. Lovely. And, uh, I know you're going to talk about Aguirre Sacasa. I just want to say that he apparently mm-hmm. is a he like grew up in D.C., which is very cool because I fucking live in D.C. And he's worked with uh, Roundhouse Theater in Bethesda, which I've seen fucking shows there. So, uh, wow. If you ever listen to this episode, you know, come say hi. Let's hang out. Cast me in a show or a TV show or something like that. And also, apparently, he is uh, he's gay. He's on my team. Very cool. Well, God damn it. I wanted so hard to say that to you, but that's fine. I mean, it just makes sense with the the scene that was written with in. The sweet that was written boys. in here. I was like, ah, yeah. it all makes sense. So that's my trivia for today. 
We love a gay Nicaraguan. We do. Uh, here's my trivia. Yes, you're right. I'm going to talk about Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who is an American playwright, screenwriter, and comic book writer, which I thought was very fun and exciting. Best known for his work for Marvel, Marvel Comics and for television series Glee, Big Love, Riverdale, and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And he is the chief creative officer of Archie Comics, Whoa. which is very fun, which makes sense is why he works on Riverdale, because Riverdale is I've never seen a single moment of it, but is, I guess, Archie yeah. Comics come to life. So Roberto Aguirre Sacasa grew up in Washington, D.C., the son of a senior Nicaraguan World wow. Bank official. Wow. So his dad turned Nicaraguan ambassador to the U.S. Uh, wow. and from 1997 to the year 2000 and later foreign minister from 2000 to 2002. Um, Aguirre Sacasa received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Georgetown University. Excuse me. Fancy. Excuse moi. Fancy pants. And later a master's degree in English literature from McGill, which is also very fancy pants. He then graduated from the Yale School of Drama oh, in 2003. My God. Get your degrees, bitch. Wow. <laughs> in his early plays during his first year at Yale, uh, one of them includes Say You Love Satan, which is, quote, a romantic comedy spoof of the Omen movies. Love that. <laughs> and The Muckle Man which is, quote, a serious family drama with supernatural overtones. When asked by The Advocate, which came first, being a comic book geek or being gay? He answered, I would say I was probably a comic book geek before I knew anything about being gay or straight. I certainly loved superheroes before I knew I was gay. In 2011, Aguirre Sacasa was approached by the producers of the troubled Broadway musical Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark to help hey. rewrite the script. Oh. In May 2011, Aguirre Sacasa was hired as co-producer and writer of Glee. London's Almeida Theater said in April 2013 that Aguirre Sacasa is writing the script for a musical based on Brett Easton Ellis's novel American Psycho. Did he? Oh. Wait. Wow. Because that came out, didn't it? Honestly, I don't know. I feel like there was a... Yeah. American Psycho musical. America, it was The music was by Duncan Sheik. I remember when it came out. On the West End or did it go to Broadway? No, it, it says productions London, Broadway, and Sydney. Oh, damn. Yeah. Wow. I, it says here, musical by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Yo wow. nunca sabía esto. Holy wow. shit. Okay. Missed it. Wow, that's very cool. Uh, a quick little bit of information on his comic career, which I think is exciting. He wrote for Fantastic Four, um, for Nightcrawler, The Sensational Spider-Man, and Dead of Night featuring Man-Thing. So my dude is all up in those fun stuff. And he also adapted the comics for Stephen King's novel, The Stand. Wow. So recently... Aguirre Sacasa's dad was kidnapped and imprisoned in Nicaragua by our shitty dictator, Daniel Ortega. And uh, he famously had the cast of Riverdale post um, a video basically saying, hey, release my fucking dad, you prick kind of thing. Jesus. And he wrote a CNN 
uh, opinion piece called My Father is in Prison in Nicaragua. His fate could hang on their upcoming presidential election. And it was written on November 5th of 2021. So literally just now. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it says here. Last year, like many people across the U.S., I couldn't imagine feeling more anxious about a presidential election than I did in November 2020. In the weeks leading up to the vote, I followed every twist of an often surreal and harrowing campaign. Every Sunday night, I would call my father, a horse farmer and part-time political pundit in Nicaragua, who would give me his analysis of the week's events, followed by a simple question. Have you voted yet? Then he would say, this is probably the most important election of your lifetime. And it was at the time. Now, an even more crucial election for me and my ancestral country is happening in Nicaragua this weekend. And most people in the U.S. aren't following it. The anxiety I experienced last year has given way to outright dread as my family's homeland prepares to elect its next president. Spoiler alert, he won again, by the way. When it comes to the question of who will win, the outcome is a foregone conclusion. Nicaragua has regressed into a dictatorship led by President Daniel Ortega and his fucking garbage wife. That's not there. Ugh. I've added my own terminology. <laughs> um, Article his, written by Aguirre Sacasa <laughs> and Eileen Clark. And Eileen Clark. <laughs> and his wife, Vice President Rosario Murillo. They are set to win a fourth term because they have Fuck. jailed seven opposition candidates. They've jailed them. Oh, Jesus. There are a few other names on the presidential ballot, but they are strong candidates approved by Ortega and Murillo to make this sham election seem legitimate to the world. So, you know, just dictator bullshit. Additionally, Ortega's administration has imprisoned more than 140 people who have been deemed a direct threat to his corrupt regime. You may wonder why I, an American citizen who lives in Los Angeles, am afraid of what happens in Nicaragua on November 7th. Well, the fate of my 77-year-old father, who was arrested oh, over 100 days ago by the Nicaraguan military police, hangs in the balance. He was accused of being an, quote, enemy of the state. My father's crime, quote unquote, speaking out against Ortega and Murillo. The last 100 days, my mom has gotten to see him twice, briefly. He is not doing well. Between her two visits, he's lost 40 pounds. He oh, described fuck. being subjected to daily, endless, pointless interrogations. He said he gets one meal a day, a plate of leftover rice and beans, which is gallo pinto. His filthy bug infested cell is boiling hot during the day and freezing at night. He's not receiving his medication and most important and most recently, his request for a copy of the Bible was denied. He's my dad, so of course I'm deeply invested. But why should other Americans as well? As the U.S.'s neighbor, Nicaragua should be, trust, should be a trusted ally and trading partner. Instead, it is a police state that oppresses its citizens and aligns itself with Russia. Ooh, guys. In October, Ortega gave Russian President Vladimir Putin a shout out for lending him security assistance to defend Nicaraguan's, quote, sovereignty. This came just Ooh. three months after two of Ortega's sons went on a summer field trip to meet with the Russian foreign oh. minister, Sergei Lavrov. 
Oh. Ortega and Murillo, who have been in power for the last 14 years, have no intention of relinquishing it. They seem hell-bent on establishing a dynastic rule, like the Somoza family once had in Nicaragua for over 40 years, which ironically, Ortega helped overthrow in the late 70s. Even more ironic... Ortega was once imprisoned and tortured himself in an earlier incarnation of the El Chipote jail where his current political enemies languish. This truly is an instance of the bullied becoming a bully. Or in Ortega's case, the populist revolutionary becoming a ruthless oppressor. In 1984, he was elected president. In 1990, he lost his bid at re-election to Violeta Chamorro, the first female president in Latin America. Without further actions by the U.S., nothing will change after the election, and our fight to free our homeland will continue under the radar until the powers that be see fit to do something, really do something, to shake Ortega's stranglehold on the country. The stake of this weekend's election for my family are clear, but everyone who believes in freedom, democracy, and the preservation of human rights should be watching for what happens this Sunday in Nicaragua and the days and weeks after. Now, like I said, he fucking won again because he's Mm -hmm. monster. But I checked Aguirre Sacasa's Instagram on a post that he wrote on February 8th. It says here today, after spending close to 200 days in El Chipote jail in Nicaragua, our father, Francisco Aguirre Sacasa, was found guilty of treason, a crime he did not commit. He's facing eight years in jail. His final sentencing date is scheduled for February 16th. We, Francisco's family, have stood by as his detention has compromised his health Given his age and physical condition, we call upon the authorities to commute his sentence to time serve and allow him to his family, his wife, children and young grandchildren. Our dad should be allowed to recover in the care of his family. Under current Nicaraguan law, any person over the age of 70 is allowed to fulfill their sentence at home. Hello. We thank all of those who have stood in solidarity with us and spoken out in support of our father. Why am I getting emotional? I am. I hate that man. And spoken out in support of our father. Your efforts have helped sustain us. I know this is all very sad, but I do have a bit of good news. Mm -hmm. On February 20th, he writes, a miracle. Our dad is home. Because of his age, because of his health, he's been transferred from El Chipote prison, where he has been the last 206 days, to see out the rest of his sentence at home. Last night, he slept in his own bed next to his wife. We haven't been able to talk to him or my mom, but right now, that doesn't matter. He's home. We're stunned and filled with gratitude to everyone who helped us through this journey. We don't know when we'll be able to see him again, but we know now that we will. So that's very nice. God, Ortega is a fucking piece of shit. Wow. And that's the end of my trivia. Well, I mean, we can be grateful that at least Aguirre Sacasa's dad is home. Yeah. But this situation is fucked. Yeah. And I think it's important that um, we continue to bring light to the situation because I read this article that you just shared and I learned a lot. 
that I was surprised that I didn't already know. So I said, I think it's important for people to know what the fuck is going on down there. Look at Russia. Look at Russia right now. Yeah. Literally right now. Like, look at what's happening. And like, there, there is a direct tie to Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, we just got to keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. You did a great job. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to completely switch gears and <laughs> answer some questions for me? Yes, let's answer some questions. <laughs> Eileen, were you scared? Hell yeah, I was scared. I was scared. That was a me creepy too. man. Yes, you yes, too? Yes, me too. Very scared. What was your best scare? There were a lot. I'm going to say that first window crash, though, that first when he's the way I screamed alone is why I'm giving it to this, because I it yeah. truly honestly not a kind of a tropey fucking horror movie bit. And sometimes those land so well. And this yeah. is what that was for me. So, yeah, that first window smash got me good. Iwo? Agreed. It was great. I gave it to the boys being murdered in the in the junkyard sign thing just because i was like this disturbs me to my core yeah so i'll give it to that whole sequence who was your favorite character i'm gonna give it to grandma cartwright just because i love her and i think she's great but i also really really liked even though it wasn't on there very long but i really liked anthony anderson lone wolf i think he was just very charming and i liked that he was there I my answers are exactly the same as yours for <laughs> all the same reasons. Both of them. I loved grandma because she like she was just looking out for her granddaughter. Yeah, that's all. No she was parents doing. in the pictures in the picture anymore. So she's just looking out for her. And also that scene with Lone Wolf with Jamie being like, let me I want to talk about this. And she's literally surrounded by men. And he's yeah. like, everybody shut the fuck up yeah. and listen to her. Love yeah. that. So totally. <laughs> agree with you. They were both the best. What was your best line? It's uh, Grandma Cartwright's. He was the boogeyman. You can't catch the boogeyman. You can't kill the boogeyman. His father is the devil and his mother is a whore. <laughs> Again, same for me. That was nice. my favorite line, too. <laughs> it was just so like, whoa. Yeah, fuck. Damn, Grandma. His mother's a whore? Okay. All right. What was your best death? I'm going to give it to good old Deputy Tillman getting a shot in the eyeball and seeing the brain through the eye. It was very simple, but like and not super gory and or visceral like the other stabbings were. But like, I just love that he's getting a blowjo and uh, a blowjo, a blowjo <laughs> and a fucking shot in the eye. I thought that made me chuckle. I mean, it was borderline humorous. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mine was the trombone kill just for like, it was classic. It was, but brutal, scary. That kid sold it. I believed it. Yeah, um, he really so did. That's going to that's gonna take it for me. Did you learn anything about the culture? No, not, I mean, I mean, the culture I, of, of Texarkana. Texarkana. I already knew about the Moonlight murders uh, before this. So I didn't, I I didn't learn anything new from Texarkana or anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm going to say no. Yeah. Um, about the culture specifically, I also like, no, I don't think well, so. Well, you know what? I uh -huh. didn't know that they had two mayors and two sheriffs. So then I, sure. so yeah, yeah, sure. And if anything, you you learn like 
what kind of like how how much of a mess it can be to mm-hmm. have like you know two mirrors, two whatever, 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 whatever. No explanation, you know. But too many what cooks in the kitchen. Cooks in the kitchen, yeah. And finally, how many ooies are you going to give this movie? I'm giving this movie three. Mm-hmm. Truly, I mean. Again, mm. what a fucking bummer this ending was mm-hmm. because I had such a good time. It was really fun. Visually, it's really cool. The buildup was great, which is why I think when we get the reveal, there was disappointment because we really were like like a classic scary like murder mystery is the the ooh, who could it be and who mm. in my town, especially in a small town. And you're just like and then you're just mm. like, oh, yeah. flop. And that kind of bummed me out. But literally up until then, yeah. what a delight. Three for me. I gave it a three and a half. But, you know, I, I agree with what you said. It's fast. It's fun. It's mean. You know, I, I just had a good time with it. I agree that the ending yeah. left me more confused than like, ooh, cool. Got it. I, I honestly at this like even now I'm like. What? Why? Whatever. But I still had a great time, especially like <laughs> the supporting characters I really enjoyed. So three and a half. It was a good time. Can't wait to see more from this director and this yeah. writer. Nice. And I loved, loved the fact that this fucking movie, I had no idea, has a Latin American connection. That is a true delight to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That being said, let's get the fuck out of Texarkana. Wonderful. Let's head on out and grab our grandma in our car and get the (laughs) fuck out of here. Thank you so much for listening. We think you're so cool for being here with us. We appreciate every single one of you. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're at. You can do it on Spotify. You can do it on Apple Apple Pod. You can do it wherever you listen. Where If you can subscribe and rate and review, please do. Um, follow us on our social medias at Wikiorror on Instagram and Twitter. You can send us an email at Wikiorror at gmail.com. Thank you, Sonoro. You're super cool. It is. Uh, you can follow them at Sonoro Podcast on Instagram and Twitter as well. And um, when your local serial killer returns 60 years later, just just leave town, man. Listen to your grandma. <laughs> Listen to your grandma and hit the road, Jack, when somebody fucking starts killing people in your town. But not a daybreak. Let's go now. Let's just fucking yeah. go. Listen, 10 a.m., that's a good time to hop in a car and get the fuck up. Okay. Sun is out. Yep. The traffic's probably a little lighter because everybody's yep. already at work and at school. Rush hour's over. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Um, but Johnny, you are the only one who I want to find out if what it's like to be gay when you're a teen. <laughs> Come to my TED Talk. I'll tell you all about it. Thank you so much. I love you very much. I love you too. And we'll see you guys in la próxima semana. Adiós. Adiós. Uy, qué horror. Es una producción de Sonoro. Produced by Jonathan Atkinson and Eileen Clark. Edición y mezcla, Karina Riverol. Escuche Uy, qué horror en cualquier plataforma donde escuchen podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Adiós. Adiós. Sonoro. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.